We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's what the world's been lacking. It's what the world's been missing. A gaming, a sports, a talk show, a podcast, all about gaming and sports. I know the world's been missing it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to Stick Talk, hosted by your favorite content creator himself, AA9 I'm, I'm kidding. I am AA9 Skills, but I'm probably not your favorite content creator. But I promise you this might become your favorite podcast in the world, with some of your favorite content creators coming on to speak facts about FIFA about Madden, about NBA 2K, about sports, about fantasy, the drama, the updates, everything you need to know, everything you don't want to talk about, everything we need to talk about, the good, the bad, the ugly, in one spot. Who's on the stick next? You think you good enough? You think you know it all? You got to listen, baby, for the number one, hopefully the number one podcast in the world when it comes to sports and gaming. Ladies and gentlemen, Stick Talk, once a week coming right to your ears this is greg olson inviting you to check out my new blue wire podcast te1 where i interview tight ends throughout the history of the nfl who have helped revolutionize the position te1 is presented by the chevy silverado the silverado is all about grit it's strong and dependable exactly like playing tight end just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast the chevy silverado is in a league of its own strong advanced and dependable Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week, we'll be discussing esports franchise leagues. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. All of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Grant Aranjabi. Grant is an esports industry veteran and is currently the vice president of esports business at Overwatch League team Washington Justice. Prior to that, he was director of esports business and team operations for Monumental Sports and Entertainment, who also operated the Wizards District Gaming 2K League team. 
He also acted as the head of business development for esports organization Splice. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that was quite quite the intro. Um, but yeah, excited excited to be here and, and glad we could find some time to chat. My pleasure. You know, you have quite the extensive experience, and I'm glad that we can get into it. Let's so do it. To, so to briefly introduce the topic, we're now exploring esports franchise leagues. So similar to traditional sports, select esports titles have begun adopting a franchise league model. So these leagues provide exclusive rights to a geographic area for a team to operate. So two of these dominant leagues are the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty Pro League, and their franchise leagues operated by the game publisher Activision Blizzard. Each franchise has exclusive rights to a geographic location. So you have New York, Seattle, Chicago, Miami, London, Paris. And each team usually pays a franchise buy-in fee to the developer. They're reported about 25 to $30 million per team. And while there are a lot of benefits, some of the more well-known ones, including the ability to negotiate league-wide sponsorship and licensing deals on behalf of all of the participating teams in one deal. So you're talking about streaming and broadcast deals, merchandise licensing ones. And another really unique benefit is preventing relegation by securing a steady spot in a league that you really can't lose. So now we know a bit more about esports franchise leagues. Tell us a bit past, about your past esports experience. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think, you know, the, the topic of franchising certainly, uh, you know, it was a major shift in the landscape for esports, right? I think, um, you know, even in the early days of, of the Legends Championship Series and, um, you know, esports leagues all, 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 out, uh, all around the, the world, you know, you did always have this inherent risk of, of relegation. And, and one of the major, um, you know, kind of, uh, not, not, you know, one of the major kind of issues that that causes is it makes it hard to, to have long-term investments in the scene, right? Whether it's a sponsor, whether it's a VC, whether it's an ownership group, um, because you always have the risk of, uh, you know, if your team has a has an off year, you're you're, you're no longer in the league, right? And I, I think you know from a from a fan perspective that that sometimes creates excitement, and um, you know you can be really, uh, you know, there's really high stakes at the end of the year, right? Because you have teams literally fighting for for their lives. But from a business perspective, it, it adds a lot of inherent risk that. Uh, it's not really great for the development of the the esports ecosystem. So um, I think you know the the development of franchising has been great and, and has added kind of you know a lot of stability you know across LCS, OWL, CDL, and and really the the esports space overall. And uh, I you know I think you mentioned you know <laughs> obviously um, as someone who's been in the the space for a while now, it's 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 been quite the the ride. So um, my my start in esports was actually uh, all the way back in eighth grade. So I. Uh, played uh, World of Warcraft um, throughout my throughout my high school uh, experience, and it was uh, played at a really high level. Um, it was kind of my introduction into uh, competitive video gaming. Um, and uh, back then, there wasn't really a, you know an esports industry. There wasn't really a, a career path there. Uh, coupled with, I, I have two very traditional parents, and so I basically had three career paths uh, afforded to me, and it was you know law school, uh, medical school, or, or some sort of finance career. Um, so naturally, being a, a fairly rebellious teenager, I, I wanted to get as far away from home for, for college as I could. Um, so I ended up going down to, to school in New Orleans, uh, at, down at Tulane. Um, and I was, a, I was a neuroscience undergrad and, and ended up getting my MBA straight after. And really, you know, throughout my time there, uh, I was playing way too much League of Legends, <laughs> uh, which uh, definitely did, did not do any favors to my grades. Um, and LCS was starting to get uh, really off the ground. It, you know, they, they had been through a few seasons. Um, they were, you know, there were talks of franchising. And 
you know, I, I basically had this six month window where I needed to decide between uh, going to medical school or, or, you know, finding an alternative. Uh, and, and for me, um, that meant I had six months to apply to every and any esports job out there. Um, so I applied to Riot, Blizzard, um, you know, Corsair, in, you know, Intel, Logitech, you name it. If it had esports in the in the name, chances are I, I applied to that job. Um, and I got a ton of no's. Um, so for anyone who listens to this, um, having an MBA with no experience when you're supposed to go to med school is a is a pretty weird look for someone looking to to break into uh, a brand new industry. Um, but I was determined, so I uh, I ended up answering a uh, a Twitter post uh, at a company called Splice. Uh, so they were an endemic esports org uh, that operated 14 teams across a, a variety of titles, ranging from Halo to CS:GO to EU, uh, EU LCS back then it was called. Um, and the the co-founder was was nice enough to give me an interview, and uh, it was for a, a community manager role, um, which was uh, probably something I was very not qualified to do. <laughs> Um, but you know, he asked me, you know, do you really want to work in, in social media? And I said, no, you know, I'm a very honest person. I have, I told him I have this business background. I'd been you know, following LCS and, and esports for a while now. Um, and I, and I just really wanted to, to work for, for, for an esports team. Uh, and he was like, you know what, we're a new org. Like we're still growing. Like I'll make a role for you. I was like, okay. Um, sure enough, I, I started two weeks later. Um, I, I, like to think it was the the best crash course in esports that that anyone could have. Um, so I uh, ended up you know selling sponsorships for a while. I was our CS:GO team manager for a while. I was our EULCS team manager for a while. I, I did our taxes one year. Um, it was the the best um, best way to really experience you know pretty much everything uh, that there is to to kind of do in, in esports when you're when you're working and and, and running a team. Um, ultimately. Uh, you know, was fortunate enough to to work on our um our, our first round of fundraising. So we ended up taking an investment from uh, the Boston Bruins and and Delaware North. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to uh, the sports world. So I again was a was a WoW playing uh, nerd in high school and and was not super into into traditional sports. Um, but when we took in our you know when we had our partnership with the the Boston Bruins, really opened my eyes to to kind of what a sports team could bring to to an esports organization, right? They have um, HR teams, they have finance teams, they have experienced sponsorship sales folks who have been selling, you know, twenty to thirty years, uh, and and have connections with all the major brands that an esports team, you know, could only dream of of talking to one day. Uh, so it was really great, and, and you know, really saw myself spending all, you know many years working working for Splice. Um, ended up getting uh, you know recruited by. Um, executive search firm called Prodigy Sports. Um, so they were they were contracted by by Monumental here in DC to fill a, a director of esports role. Um, and sure enough, you know, kind of looked into the, the role a little bit, was really excited uh, about the opportunity to, to launch uh, a brand new um, esports team um, in, in Wizards District Gaming uh, as, as part of the NBA 2K League. Shouts to them, they're, they're playing in the finals tonight. Um, as well as, you know, work on their NHL esports initiatives and, and then ultimately kind of manage uh, their Team Liquid initiatives uh, locally here in D.C. Um, so it was great. I really enjoyed my my time at Monumental. Um, you know, we were one of the most successful teams in, in terms of selling uh, sponsorships against our, our 2K League team as well. And um, again, thought I would thought I'd be at Monumental for, for many, many years. Um, and sure enough, D.C., um, you know, last year announced that they were getting an Overwatch League team and 
Overwatch is a game that was um, really close to my heart. It was something that I played uh, very seriously when uh, the beta started, and uh, I, I couldn't resist the opportunity to you know reach out and um, you know essentially see if they needed some some help in, in running their franchise. And and sure enough, uh, they said yes. Um, <laughs> so I've been at the Justice almost uh, almost uh, actually a little bit more than a year and a half now. Um, and it's been great. You know, obviously, we, uh, the, you know, the Justice as an expansion team last year didn't necessarily have the the best run of things. Um, so we had a lot of uh, a lot of rebuilding in addition to moving the team uh, back home uh, during the off season last year. Uh, and, and then also, you know, this year I, I think we've had a lot of um, challenges that we've had to overcome through through COVID. And um, you know, we're we're just fortunate enough that we were able to host two awesome home stands uh, down at the Anthem um you know earlier on in this year and you know kind of excited to to finish out this year and then obviously get things uh get things back on track for for 2021 um again really long <laughs> twisty tourney road through esports but yeah that's um that's kind of a little bit about how how i end up getting involved and and ultimately where where i'm at today well yeah i mean i think that your story is kind of something that everyone can look at it's like yeah like you wanted to get in and you pretty much banged on every door and sent out every email you can. And I think that's really the way you have to do this. And you have to really show your dedication that you're willing to kind of work from community manager to business manager to really whatever it takes to get your foot in. And then, you know, as you saw, as you continue to learn the space and develop your context and your expertise, you've just kind of moved up the ladder to now where you're running one of the premier you know, teams in the world at this point. Yeah, I think uh, esports was a very different time when I was trying to to get into the industry. I think back then, um, you know, one having you know a, a master's degree was certainly a, a big point of differentiating uh, for a lot of the the you know industry uh, businesses and, and teams that I talked to. Uh, and then also, you know, it was just so early that you know people hadn't established yet. A, you know what makes a a good employee in esports? I think um, nowadays, uh, you know, being on the other side and and you know, kind of being someone who's had to hire a number of employees across uh, you know all all of these different organizations. Um, I like to I like to tell you know prospective employees and and you know, students and whatnot that there are so many more opportunities now for you to get involved before you end up applying. Uh, that your application should always be better than mine. Uh, when I when I was looking for a job, um, so you know it's it's no longer that you're just you know you, you're really interested in esports, you you really follow the scene, or you uh, you know you, you play a ton of of League or Overwatch. Um, now it's hey, while I was in college, I, I founded my own esports club. I you know ran this that and and this other event. Like I've you know practiced event production we sold sponsorships right like there's so many ways to get involved now at the collegiate level um, that, that weren't there when when i was uh when i was in school um so i i think you know the next generation of folks who are going to work in esports are going to have way more experience uh even even just coming out of school um and and they'll make you know they'll make really great uh you know employees and and leaders when they're um you know, ultimately joining esports teams and you know for six years from now yeah i mean that's kind of the point that you made is when i was you know running the internship program for my entertainment law firm that was the biggest advice and the biggest thing i looked for in resumes is who has experience in the entertainment world because 
these entertainment and sports and gaming worlds are just so different than a lot of other traditional businesses that you have to have a familiarity with how you talk to the players, how you talk to the brands, how you present things, how you engage with everyone. And it kind of only comes from doing it and learning. You can't just know how to talk to a professional athlete or a musician just cause it takes time and familiarity and knowing what to say and how to say it. And, you know, when to bother them and when not to bother them, you know, there's kind of an art to all of it. Yeah. And just, and just doing it a whole bunch. Right. I, I, you know, I'm a firm believer in the, the, the best way to get good at something is just doing it, you know, a hundred times. Right. Um, and, and preferably a hundred times when the, the stakes aren't super high. Um, and then, and then when it matters, you, you've, you've already done it so much that you're, you're, you're really great at it. Yeah. You just kind of step up and take care of it. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and champion futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So what are some of your duties for the Washington Justice? Uh, yeah, I, I get this question a lot, um, which is and it's always a fun one. Um, you, know, uh, you know, someone asked once, you know, what is a, a standard day of, of you know, in, in, in your life you know, working for the Justice? I'm like, there, there really is nothing that's ever standard, right? <laughs> um, so at, at, at a high level, so um, I'm responsible for all the business side of, of the Justice. So. Um, our sponsorship folks who who sell against the team, you know, kind of roll up into me. Um, anything on on the community side, um, you know, working with our fan club or, or whatnot, and and kind of any of the social and um, you know any of the other initiatives that we have uh, on that front. Uh, and then also on the, on the competitive side, you know, ultimately responsible for for the success of the team. There, you know, we have a great uh, general manager in, in Aaron, so he ultimately reports to me as well. And you know, working with him and, and our coaching staff to, to ultimately build up the competitive side of the team. So pretty 50 50 split from running the business operations to the to the competitive side um and it basically ensures that no two days are the same which is uh which is a lot of fun do you like help with kind of the selecting the players and you know that aspect or is that more left to the general managers and coaches yeah i think we have a we have a pretty good process where you know 
um, it's essentially like a, a funnel, right? So coaches will bring kind of their recommendations for, for players. You know, Aaron is obviously a lot closer to the the Overwatch um, space, and uh, you know, it's just very, you know, it's just very kind of up on what players he likes and what you know what players he's he's heard things about or whatnot. Um, so he'll kind of filter that list down a little bit. He and I will discuss both from like a budgeting standpoint and you know, kind of a team chemistry standpoint what players we think makes make the most sense and uh and, and then ultimately it's a it, it's a it's a group decision right there's never been a case where i i've said you know we we have to get this person or you know uh, we've had you know instances where our ownership team has weighed in right when we've had different players that we've um been weighing the the pros and cons of so it's it's really a, a really collaborative environment and we kind of have this this team system that ultimately um allow you know that we kind of work through when we're when we're selecting our players so what's it like working with, you know, traditional sports ownership group like Monumental? Um, yeah, it's, it was great. Uh, so Monumental, uh, you know, from uh, uh, and I think the, the question has two parts, right? So working with Monumental was was awesome. I think from a from an ownership perspective, you know, Ted and Zach are, are certainly mo- two of the most progressive, um, you know, owners uh, with, within, you know, traditional sports who, who have been involved in esports for a while. You know, they were they were very early investors in. Uh, in Axiomatic, which obviously uh, ended up, you know, purchasing a controlling stake in Team Liquid and has made several other, um, you know, esports investments ac- across the space. So uh, it, it honestly made my life um, uh, re- really easy working within that organization um, because essentially when you have the buy-in from uh, the, the very, very top of the organization, um, it, you, you get a lot of resources, right? Whether that's from the produ- from a production standpoint, you know, Monumental had the uh, largest production staff in, in the entire NBA, whether it's from a sales uh, perspective. And, and I think, you know, it's it's somewhat of an unspoken, um, you know, kind of uh, topic when you, when you join an organization that owns multiple properties, uh, you're, you're always, <laughs> whether you know it or not, you're, you're always vying for time against the other properties, right? And I don't mean that in like a, a, an overly competitive way, but, um, you know, there's everyone has you know a limited number of hours throughout the day and if you know the caps need something versus the wizards need something versus you know back when the afl was running if the afl teams needed something right like there's there's a pecking order right and so i think for um for for me you know having kind of the um the the buy-in from from an ownership level it really helped you know kind of ensure that that you know wizards issue gaming and then ultimately our our caps gaming initiative kind of got the uh, the resources and attention that um, you know I, that I that I wanted them to have, and I, I think that's kind of what made them uh, really successful properties uh, over the past you know two years or so. Yeah, you know, even to this day, the the Wizards District Gaming is probably one of the most profitable and impressive teams, and we know that you had a lot to do with kind of building that. So it's something that I always kind of was interested and admired. So what are some similarities between working with, you know, more traditional esports companies and, you know, these entertainment sports ones that you've also worked with? Yeah, so I, I think I've really, you know, co- run the gamut a little bit in terms of, you know, Splice was very much your your hardcore endemic esports startup, um, which, you know, eventually kind of got tied to a, a sports organization. Um, Monumental obviously was the the full on, you know, kind of a sports organization looking to launch an esports arm, if you will, um, and then you know, kind of over here at the Justice, it's um, honestly a little of both, right? It's um, you know a 
uh, you know, Mark Ein, uh, you know, as our owner owns, you know, the city open and then also the Washington castles. So it's a little bit of the, the sports side of things coupled with, you know, Overwatch being a, you know, kind of a hardcore endemic esport and really a, a combination of, of the both. So I think there, there's pros and cons, no matter what kind of side of the, the fence you're on. And, um, you know, obviously working for an organization like Monumental, it's great having uh, the level of resources that they did. Um, I think working, um, working within, uh, you know, kind of true endemic esports is really exciting because you have a lot more flexibility on the type of content and, and what your, um, you know, what your kind of goals are and what you're able to, to really control. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's definitely a lot of differences, a lot of similarities, but, um, ultimately it's, it's kind of about finding your fit in terms of what, uh, what side of the fence you really enjoy working on from a, from a day-to-day basis. Unlike kind of the, you know, the PR and kind of marketing side, did you notice kind of a difference when you were just working with like a team like Splice versus what you had to potentially deal with, with Monumental and now with Justice? Um, I, I think maybe on the, the marketing side, um, you know, whenever you join, uh, you know, a traditional sports organization or, or whenever it's a traditional sports organization getting involved in, in esports, there's there's certainly more of an educational element to it, right? I, I remember I was in a, um, I was in a meeting at Monumental one one day, and we were trying to figure out ways to um, promote our playoff appearance because um, we had we had made the playoff season one, um, and you know someone had suggested uh, taking out like a, a paper an ad in the the Washington Post, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a physical ad in the in the paper. And I remember I was like sitting there, I was like, wait, what? Like people still read the. And you know, they go buy like a paper and they hold it in their hands. Like, and, and, and you know, I was, I was like, honestly, a little shocked. I was like, wait, what? And, um, you know, needless to say, it's, it, it's no fault of, of anyone's, right? Like the, the Wizards and traditional sports, like they've been so successful in, in how they run their businesses, right? And selling season tickets, being, you know, the, the local sports teams, you know, driving 20,000 fans in and out of that arena every night. But not all of those methods apply to esports right I, you know our our core demographic of 18 and 34 year olds is is not buying a paper um and, and like picking it up and, and reading it like it's just not it's not happening right they're going to twitter they're going to their favorite subreddit they're going to to their favorite you know twitch stream and, and that's how they're getting their information and and that's how they're choosing you know what teams to support and and what content to consume so yeah i, I think you know whenever you're working with traditional sports or, or joining you know especially you know probably back five or five or six years or whatnot, you know, the education piece is you'll just have to invest more time into it. But I think, you know, one of the most exciting things about where esports is is kind of trending today is so many more people know what it is and, and have kind of recognized the importance of it, right? They've started getting involved even tangentially, right? Their their kid plays Fortnite, their kid plays Overwatch, right? They There's, heard about Ninja somewhere. They heard about Ninja, right? Like and even if Ninja is the only uh you know esports influencer that they know it 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 helps a ton right it it has it gives you a way to start the conversation with some credibility and um you ultimately be able to say hey like yep this is what you heard of here's how overwatch league is different here's how cdl is different right here's how 2k league is different um so yeah it's it's just been really nice like and again i think as the industry matures and and as we you know kind of have um, you know, veterans who've been in the space for for a really long time, that that conversation will just become easier and easier. Yeah. So let's kind of shift back to a little bit of our initial conversation. Sure. What kind of benefits do you kind of see from the franchise leagues that are emerging in esports? 
yeah, so sorry if I ruined, I jumped ahead a little bit in my show on, on that. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, franchise leagues, again, they provide a lot of stability um, in terms of, you know, you don't have teams getting relegated. And through that stability, I think really drive, um, you know, higher valuations. They drive, you know, investment opportunities from both a, a um, you know a financing standpoint and then also a sponsorship uh, sponsorship standpoint um i think for for players it really provides um you know uh, again another sense of stability so uh you know you don't have to worry about um you know necessarily uh your team not physically being in the league uh, after after a split or a season um you you know you can have some confidence that if you sign a three-year contract your your team will be there for for three years which is great uh and then i think it it really adds um you know kind of a timeline that it adds really this like appointment viewing almost that you know you never really had in esports before right you have and and this this is something that you know dota 2 csgo some of the leagues that that haven't franchised yet really struggle with i think where it's very hard to follow their professional scenes right um, as like a as a casual viewer, right? As a as a hardcore fan, I can follow anything, right? If I am determined to follow the Hearthstone World Circuit, like I will follow it and I will watch every tavern brawl, like I, I I'm on it. But if I'm like a, a casual fan, maybe I'm investing, you know, four or five hours a, a week. Uh, I'm gonna catch my favorite team playing their LCS match, my favorite team playing their Owl match, my favorite team playing their CDL match. I, I'm not really gonna go out looking for you know, oh, this Dota 2 tournament is on Saturday at like 11 p.m. because it's being played in China, right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, this uh, CSGO major, I mean, CSGO majors are a little unique because they're so large. But the the point stands where, you know, going and, and franchising leagues in esports essentially creates, you know, this this model that, that casual fans can follow, provides stability to, to both players and organizations, and, and, and ultimately has been... You know, I think what what has kind of pushed esports from just being you know a you know a kind of a small scale industry to to really this massive um, you know massive thing that everyone's taking kind of notice about. Yeah, I mean, I think the kind of building on your point, that's predictability where you have minimum salaries and benefits, and you kind of the players know that you know one day they're not going to wake up and the team's not going to exist and they're not going to get their salaries paid or you know the owner just de- deactivate <laughs> this Twitter and that's the end yep, of the there we go. <laughs> You know, and you know that because you know that this happens more often than we care to admit. Yeah, we we don't need to name any of those uh, <laughs> those organizations on the, uh, on this, but yeah, I, I think it is. You know, and and that was the you know I I always hated hearing uh, the term that you know, esports is like the wild west, right? And but it was to some extent, right? You did have you know these bad actors who were not paying players who were not paying out prize money. Right. And, and, you know, I think you, you all, you know, you still have the occasional bad apple, but you know, when you look at how extensive the, the franchising processes for, uh, you know, LCS and, and owl and CDL were, and, and then the caliber of owners that, you know, have gotten involved a, across the league, you know, you, you really have a very small, <laughs> uh, chance of, of those things kind of happening. And, um, I, again, it's, it's all about that stability that, that can kind of drive that level of investment and, and ultimately um, the, the revenues from, from sponsors as well. Yeah, and you know, another thing is kind of the development of these in-market activations and even facilities, which, you know, in my readings 
add a lot to a franchise's value, being able to have like an official training camp or, you know, an arena that they're building that they can sell signage and host events and really kind of embraceate the community. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I always remember. Um, so I was, and I've, I'm going to butcher the exact percentage and, and who it came from, but there was, there's one sponsorship meeting that, that I attended when I was at the end, uh, when I was at monumental and it was put on by the NBA, uh, where, where someone was up there and said, you know, 70% of a, a team's sponsorship revenue comes from local partners. Uh, and I, I remember hearing that and I was like, wow, really? Um, so that, that means, you know, essentially the, the local market, you know, brands, you know, for, for us, whether that's Lidos, Geico, you know, PenFed, MedStar, whoever it is, right? They're really the ones who who get behind their local team and and, and are less concerned about a sponsorship at a at a national level. Um and I I never really understood that until until I joined uh the Justice when um, you know, Nate Nanzer uh, at, at South by Southwest last year, you know, announced that the Overwatch League was going home. And, you know, it, it seemed like a massive undertaking. And I was sitting in the audience and I was kind of thinking, like, why are we going to, you know, why, why would you want to add all of these, all of these costs and all of these logistics? You know, what, what is the, the reasoning for it? And it kind of kicked back to me is, you know, you really do need a, a, a local or a city tie-in to, to kind of unlock all of those all of those dollars, and even before you start, um, you know, talking about the benefits of of community building and having a local fan base and and really building, you know, a lifelong fan, which which are all obviously very very important as well. Um, so when the Overwatch League went home, you know, it just made so much sense to me, right? You have all these teams that already had, you know, city tie-ins in their names, right? You had Washington Justice, you had you know Philly Fusion, you know NYXL in in New York, right, and they had all been based in LA. They were all living in LA for the, the first two seasons. And, and essentially they're all competing for the same slice of the pie, right? You, you know, if you sponsored NYXL versus Philly versus justice, when they were all in LA, like what was, what were your, what were you getting? Like, what was the difference, right? You were essentially getting an Overwatch League team that was based in LA that might travel home once and outside of social following and you know the competitive success of the team and maybe their ability to to make more or less content, um, you weren't really getting a very differentiated experience. Um, and, and so when the teams came home and we announced homestands, right, we were going to start having these local events. That's when the story becomes clear for for a local partner, right? You can you can be PenFed, you can be Geico, you can be EventCC, right, and you can get behind your local team in dc you can have physical exposure in front of you know three to five thousand fans uh and, and that put are your in brand, your market and that they're are, looking at you that are the ones you care about right they're the people who live here they're the they're the people who will spend money here and, and they and they are they're the people you want to reach right uh and, and on top of that obviously you get the exposure through throughout the broadcast and you know being a, a partner of the overwatch league and whatnot um but yeah, it you know ultimately, look, I, I don't know if um, you need to build a, a fifty million dollar arena tomorrow, but I, I do think uh, the the local element has been huge for for Overwatch League and um, you know CDL as as well, and uh, it's really it's really been a, a point of differentiation for I think those two leagues and in, in kind of the the esports industry overall. Yeah, you know, I was a little disappointed that we didn't really get to have the New York Call of Duty event here because I thought that that was just going to be like 
a cultural event that like everyone in the world, you know, everyone in New York that was anyone was going to be at this event that was supposed to be it. I think it was Roseland or Hammerstein ballroom. And it was mm-hmm. going to be like awesome. And, you know, I remember I was talking with the Anbox people like a little bit, it was pretty much about a month before the world just stopped. And they were like really excited. They'd almost sold all the tickets. And it was like, I was like, wow, like if you're a New York celebrity or a person of note, this is going to be the place to be like, you're going to want to go to this. Like there's especially kind of in that time period, it was, it would have just been a great exposure thing and something that would have been awesome. Well, it also makes it so much more real for folks who have never experienced esports before. Right. I remember when, um, when I started monumental, it, you know, a, a big, you know, kind of focus for me was how do I get, uh, you know, admittedly like older uh, individuals who have sold traditional sports for, you know, 15 to 30 years uh, to care about this new this new thing. Right. It doesn't have the audience that the NBA has quite yet. It doesn't have the reach yet. But how do I get them to care and, and devote you know, the same amount of time that, that I do to selling the caps of the Wizards to, to selling Wizards District Gaming or, or you know, our, our, our caps esports initiative. Right. And one of the things that uh, I think made it very you know made it much easier and, and was really successful was taking them to events right so i you know i the, the first week i started i took one to to the na um the na finals in uh NALCS finals in boston um you know i sold out td garden um and, and you know he got to to sit in the audience and watch you know twenty thousand fans staring at you know a jumbotron with you know the two best league of legends teams in the world uh, in, in, at least in na playing uh, playing against each other, right? And and that that's when it became real for him, right? It wasn't just you know numbers on a deck. It wasn't just you know things that he had read about how big esports was. This was him in person watching how engaged and you know kind of ravenous these these fans were, and then also simultaneously kind of recognizing that there weren't a ton of partners activated, right? There there were some con- mm-hmm. concourse activations or, or whatnot, and so. You know, it, it kind of got the wheels turning for for him that like, wow, like you can go to a brand and and they can they can be you know making history, right? They could be one of the first in their space getting involved in in esports. They could be one of the first you know locally getting involved in esports. So there there really are a lot of uh, a lot of pros to to you know kind of taking um, you know individuals who who have never experienced esports to to an event, and uh, I think that's when it makes it real for them and and really provides. Um, you know, just kind of that that extra oomph to to get them to to kind of understand just how how real esports are. Well, you know, not every we got to look at both sides of the coin. So, what are some kind of drawbacks that you you know feel or just kind of noticed from the shift to the franchise leagues from what it used to be? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely fair, right? There's there's never going to be a a perfect system in in sports or esports as as much as everyone wishes there there was, right? Um, and so I, I think you know, rightfully so, I you know there have been fans who have criticized franchising, um, for a couple of reasons, right? I, I think the it, it does enable you know teams to potentially, I, I think skate by is 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 too harsh but you know there, there definitely are teams who um could maybe have a bad season and not necessarily uh have to make you know the hard the, the hard changes required to to become good um 
there have been, I think, fans that, um, you know, think uh, maybe that, um, you know, the, the, the competition becomes too, um, like, appointment viewing after a while, uh, too much like appointment viewing after a while. And, and so I think, you know, one of the things that Overwatch League saw was, you know, it, it, it really is tough to have, you know, just week after week after week after week of regular season without kind of a, a marquee moment um, to, to kind of reignite fans. So we, we, you know, we added the, the monthly, the monthly tournaments, um, which, you know, just wrapped up um, last, last month. And, and that did a lot, right. You, you're giving players, um, you know, putting, you're putting stakes to things for players. You're, you're showing fans that, Hey, like, you know, these tournaments have, you know, $150,000 on the line. They have, you know, regular season wins on the line, which will, will affect your, your stand standings and playoffs and whatnot. Um, so, you know, there are, there are always going to be downsides to, to whatever the system is. I, I think a lot of, you know, it comes down, a, a lot of what it comes down to is having leagues and um, partners who, who can kind of adapt and, and make changes um, and, and really take in fan feedback, right? You know, can you listen to your, to your fans and, and when they have kind of those concerns, you know, adjust accordingly. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's something that Owl, Owl did really well. CDL has, has also done, um, has also made some changes, right. From, a from a scheduling standpoint and, and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely always going to be downsides, but, um, the, the upsides of franchising certainly, uh, certainly way out. Yeah, and I agree. And like realistically, nobody wants to lose. Like no one's putting together a team like, oh, yeah, we don't care if we win. We just want like all of us are, you know, have competitive nature. And at the end of the day, we want to win whatever we do. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm always a little surprised when um, that is the criticism that fans have for teams. Uh, I can safely say, like, I don't think I've ever met anyone who works in esports where they're guiding philosophy in the offseason was hey let's put together a team that that loses and um, even even if you are putting together you know one of these like money ball or, or you know kind of cheaper rostered teams you're, you're not doing it um you know intending to lose all your games right like you're, you're doing it because hey like you know financially you, you maybe need to do it this year or whatnot um but you're you're still putting together the best team possible right and maybe you're not expecting uh, you know, a championship run, but you're you're certainly expecting to to be competitive and and still you know still get some wins. So yeah, it, it is a little funny getting that feedback from from folks, but uh, you know people people certainly are are entitled to their opinions around that. <laughs> yeah. So so how do you guys try to like balance you know esports kind of going more sh- mainstream and trying to not alienate the diehard fans who are like oh you know we have these established storylines and you know the teams that we know are now change into these, you know, the New Yorks and the Chicago's and the Miami's. How do you guys try to like, you know, balance this? Yeah, it's, it's certainly delicate. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we did at our home stands in particular, you know, we had a lot of content that was meant for someone who had maybe never seen Overwatch, maybe, you know, just someone who had, um, you know, heard of the game, but never watched it. Um, and, you know, we were we were very concerned about, um, you know, how hardcore fans would uh, kind of react to that that style of content. Right. You know, because if you're if you're, pl- you know, someone who plays Overwatch, you know, 20 hours a week, you're, you're not really going to enjoy like a tutorial video on like how to watch a 
competitive match of Overwatch. Um, and so what we found really successful was you know turning it into kind of like a social uh like a social ask almost right where if you were you know we we actually asked the audience where it's like if you are someone who plays overwatch like turn to the fan to your left or to your right and um you know ask them if they've if they've watched overwatch before and if they say no you know can you explain three things about uh you know what's what's happening on the screen to them can you explain three things about what's going to happen in the in the match to them and you know can you explain how a, a hybrid um you know hybrid map works versus a, a 2cp map right so i think you know no matter what you do you're always going to have to to kind of toe the line in terms of the content that you put out and like how you speak to your fans on social but for us you know we've and again maybe this is unique to overwatch maybe it's not we've found um you know fans who are those diehard and kind of our core fan base of of overwatch players really willing to to help and and share their passion with with others who who haven't played or maybe don't you know maybe aren't as engaged um, and it's been really great to to watch and, and work with them because ultimately they're they're all kind of working together to to grow the scene uh, for for the game that they love to play. Uh, yeah, I think that's a kind of a great way to kind of do it where you have you know maybe these first time fans who are there for the excitement or wanting to kind of see what all this is about and. You have people who love it and they're like, okay, well, you know, this is what you should be looking for. This is what this means. You know, yeah. I have someone who, you know, I'll admit I never really played Overwatch and obviously I represent and do stuff in the scene. I've had people that kind of, you know, when I'm watching it, they're like, oh, that's what this thing means. And this is what that character's ability does. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that it really enhanced my viewing experience because once you kind of start getting what's going on, you start understanding the strategy behind it and why people are doing what they're doing. It just makes it more enjoyable. Yeah, and I, and I think it you know it, it just elevates the the players to another level too, right? I, I think you you gain that appreciation for just how hard you know it it is for for someone to be a professional athlete and and specifically for someone to be a professional you know esports athlete, right? So yeah, I, I think you know we we just love how supportive, you know, esports fans, you know, at, at least within, within Overwatch have been of, of, you know, kind of explaining their game to, um, to more casual, casual folks. And, and you noobs. Know, I'm sorry. To us noobs. Us no <laughs> uh, well, we, we don't call them, we don't call them that anymore. E exactly. It's been, uh, it's been, it's just been great kind of watching them, uh, watching them just really help, help other folks get, get involved in, in their sport. So kind of tying it all together, what's the future of, you know, esports? Is it franchise leagues? Is that where everything's going to start going? Or do you think there still be room <laughs> for the more traditional model? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I always hate getting this, <laughs> this question on panels and, and whatnot because it's so hard to know, right? I, I would have felt like, uh, uh, you know, I, I would have felt like I had a crystal ball if I could have predicted the success of Fall Guys, right? But um, I do think there's a couple of things that are that are certain in esports, right? I think franchise leagues are are not going to go anywhere. Um, so you'll see LCS, LEC, uh, Korea today uh, just announced the, their ten uh, prospective partners for the franchise LCK. Um, you have Overwatch League, CDL. Like the franchise leagues will not go anywhere. I think they'll have you know likely they'll continue iterating on. Um, you know what the kind of the workings of the leagues and schedules and 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 all of that but 
and they've, they've certainly been successful and they have you know really world-class ownership groups um kind of backing backing those leagues i think for perspective esports you do have a very um difficult decision on to franchise or not right i think if you look at and you almost need to evaluate it on kind of like a case by case uh you know basis so if you look at like rocket league rocket league i think is the is the sport um that everyone is waiting to franchise right i think you know epic um being who they are and and you know having a chance to to own a um own a team in their league um rocket league also is is just so accessible right it's it's literally soccer with with flying cars but it's very very competitive very exciting to watch and, and it has kind of this built in ways for brands to integrate into the game um so i think a lot of people are waiting on that and really it just depends on on a couple of things right like does a publisher have the resources and interest to to kind of spin up uh you know a franchise league you know there's obviously costs associated with it from both a time and a and a financial standpoint uh and, and then does your game essentially have viewership and, and an ecosystem that that would support being franchised right i think you know valorant Riot's taken a really innovative approach there where, you know, essentially you're going to wait, you know, a couple of years and, and let the scene develop organically, let players, um, you know, kind of uh, rise to the top of, of the competitive space um, over time, you know, see which organizations are, are truly committed to the space by, by you know, o- opening them up to, to running their own third-party tournaments and, and whatnot. So, uh, and then potentially franchising, right? So there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but yeah, I, I think from a future standpoint of, of esports, you'll you'll likely see more franchise leagues. I think for leagues that don't franchise, uh, you just need to find a way to, to drive viewership, right? And I think how Dota Two has essentially overcome this is the international becomes a giant spectacle every year, right? And it is uh, the highest uh, you know prize pool in esports and. I, I think Valve is also probably just a little less interested in in their esport um, scene really driving revenues or being kind of a sustainable thing. But neither that's neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, I think uh, overall you'll you'll likely see more franchise leagues. Uh, and for the leagues who don't, I, I think you'll need to focus on how do you drive you know kind of this almost like spectacle level uh, of interest in in your esport. So franchises are here to stay. That that's what I'm kind of getting from all this. I think that's my bold prediction for now. I, <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I agree. Things, like, you can come ask me in six months, and my answer might be different, right? And that's and that's how fast esports moves, right? You know, you could you could look at it, and you know, maybe Epic works on this incredible, you know, Fortnite pro league team friendly scene. And all of a sudden, nobody wants to to have a franchise, right? There, you you really don't know. But I think if I was a betting person from a strategic and from a stability standpoint, being in franchise esports leagues as a professional esports organization uh, would would be the bet to make uh, for at least the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I think that the kind of the business model and the stability gives you something to kind of build around is important and you know this is the esports biz show so i always kind of look at everything from the business lens and you know as a businessman you don't want to invest 10 20 million dollars in something that two years from now may not have any value yeah and and, i mean that's essentially the ask if you were an early uh if you're early to the esports space right you were going to invest thousands and thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars 
into a team that could get relegated, right? And then your investment is is quite quite literally either cut in half, cut in a quarter, you know, cut cut to a quarter maybe, or or worth nothing, right? Um, and so yeah, being able to to know that at least yes, there might be a very high price tag to to get into some of these franchise leagues, but uh, you know, having the the stability to know that hey, that investment's going to to be there in ten years. Uh, or, or you know, five years or whatnot, um, certainly goes a long way. I think into making it a a more sound sound investment. Awesome. So you were recently announced as beginning to teach them esports business classes. So tell us a bit more about that and you know the class and everything. Uh, yeah. So uh, j- just one for now. Thankfully, I, I uh, still still have my my day job. Um, but yeah, no. I uh, you know during my time at Monumental. Um, I got connected with uh, Joey, who's the the director of, of esports over at Shendo University, uh, which is about you know two and a half hours um, outside of outside of DC here, uh, and just started you know he had a he had a group of of students who were really interested in um, you know touring our our esports practice space uh, when I was at Monumental and. Um, he was honestly one of the most determined, uh, you know, in, instructors that I'd ever met. You know, he he rented a van and, and drove all of his kids, uh, you know, that two and a half hours there and and back just to to see kind of our space and and get to get to talk with myself and some of the other staff and um, stayed in stayed in touch with him and you know kind of learned a little bit more about what what Shenandoah has been doing and and really you know just kind of found that they've they've kind of latched onto esports and. Uh, in, in a really big way. Um, so they, you know, they launched some of the first, you know, undergraduate majors. They they have it included in the MBA program, right? They they really have just been very progressive in in thinking about esports, not only from a from a competitive standpoint, and and you know, having a, a varsity team and and you know, teams in in many different titles, but but also from an educational standpoint. And so, um, you know, Joey asked if I'd if I'd be interested in you know in in teaching a class um, at, at night this. This coming semester, and I was like, "Sure, why?" Well, you know, I, I think I have hopefully um, some some helpful tidbits to, to educate the next uh, generation of of you know esports uh, industry leaders. Um, and so, actually, just finished my my first week of, of classes with them, and uh, it's remarkable, right? I I couldn't imagine being in college and um, you know just being surrounded by so many people interested in learning. Uh, about the same thing as as what I was passionate about, right? I think you know, I had a very different collegiate experience, um, you know, just because it, it was a, a major that I and you know wasn't super passionate about, and I was you know, passionate about League of Legends, but I was here, there, I was studying the brain, right? So hmm. um, I, I think for me, it was really it was really great to see, you know, just the the level of questions that they had, and um, so the the class is esports um, consumerism, so really just focused on kind of the business behind esports and. Um, they have a they have a really great project which I've uh, which I'm really excited about where they they essentially have to create you know kind of their own esports org um, yeah. and and get it funded by the end of the semester so um, it should be it should be pretty cool uh, I, I really like um, you know kind of stepping into this uh, side of things and and shamelessly the the same thing that I that I told Joey that I you know tell my students too is. Um, I need it to be successful because in you know four years when they graduate uh, or or less, uh, I'm going to need qualified people to to come work for my team, right? Uh, maybe you know whatever whatever organization I'm a part of. Um, and so 
I'm just as invested in them being successful as they are. So it's uh, hopefully a win-win on, uh, on, on both sides. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, a little bit about how I, how I got involved in that. Well, congratulations on that. You know, I'm very big and I see a lot of, you know, value in the college esports scene and kind of, I know there's a bunch of other schools that have started to kind of develop their own programs and trying to really bring it the same way you have entertainment or sports or fashion kind of business programs. There's the development of these esports ones where you're learning the business side. You're really kind of learning from professionals who are explaining to you what it's like in the real world. And it's pretty cool to be talking about League of Legends and CSGO and Fortnite in class. Yeah, yeah, it's not a it's not a bad topic, I think, to, to have to discuss. Um, they actually, they you know, and uh, don't don't tell anyone, but they they put me up to uh, we have to uh, the, the Justice Playoff match is actually during class on Thursday, um, so we will we'll be watching part of the Justice match during. Well, good. They're consumers of esports. So. You know, that's that's what it is. You're consuming esports. Exactly. I, it, it fits. It, it was. It felt like it was a necessary. Uh, necessary requirement of the class <laughs> perfect so you know i really kind of like to end each episode with my three questions so what's your favorite game to watch oh man i, I this is off this is off <laughs> this is out of left field um favorite game to watch uh currently has to either be overwatch or valorant it goes goes back and forth for me um shamelessly i find myself have you know watching a ton of owls since we we have a team in the league um and then valorant is kind of my uh my game for right now so both uh both have my my attention at the moment so what's your favorite game to play oh okay well that was that was easy so uh i mean fa- favorite game of all time has to be golden eye on the n64 but favorite game to play right now uh pro- probably valorant and you know just just a gotten really into the into the game right now um have a lot of a lot of friends playing it so it it's been uh it's been fun that golden eye one is definitely a legend uh, i'll admit i was never good at it you know first person shooters are just not my thing i'm the <laughs> I guy anyone was ever good at it <laughs> like, i just use all my bullets it's like oh i didn't hit you that's not good um so you know, my last question is so who's your favorite video game character you know mario luigi pikachu you know, any of them. Favorite video game character. I know. I've actually never been. I've end. never been asked this question before. Wow. Um, probably Link. Okay. If I had to, if I had to go with it. So I was really uh, a huge fan of the original Super Smash on N64, and Link was my character, and, and obviously got me into the the whole Zelda series of of things. So, um. Yeah, would 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 probably have to go with we have to go with Link, I think. Link's definitely a good choice. So, you know, thanks everybody for joining us and tuning in. This was extremely exciting. So, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, yeah, no, obviously, thank thanks for having me. I, I know this is really long, long overdue, and um, you know, glad glad we could find some time even uh, during these these unusual times with COVID and whatnot. Um, Twitter Twitter is the best way, so it's uh, Twitter dot com slash Kirinthal. Uh, k-e-i-r-a-n-t-h-i-l um kirinthal on most platforms as well but yeah twitter twitter for the most part and yeah it just uh you know really enjoyed the conversation and um hopefully can can talk soon again awesome so you know thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on twitter justin j-e-s-q and check apple podcast for all past episodes
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.